Well, welcome on this uh, great Wednesday. Thank you for taking time to be able to join me for our Bible study today. Uh, we'll be looking at Mark chapter 2. Just wrapped up the first chapter last week. It was a little bit longer, and so we took that in two segments. We'll do today's in one segment, looking at kind of four different main sections, all in which really describe uh, the Pharisees coming after Jesus. Uh, remember where we left off, Jesus' ministry really is just starting. He's just calling some of his disciples. We'll even see that happen today with Levi. And in this story, as it continues along this narrative, uh, we kind of begin to see just a little glimpse of what it means for Jesus to bring this gospel message into the world and how some people accept it and receive it and how others really push against it. Uh, something that is not also different than where we exist at today. Uh, so follow along with me as we look at uh, our book of Mark chapter 2 beginning at verse 1. This is a few days later when Jesus again entered Capernaum the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered uh, so that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him uh, to where Jesus was because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat that the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, now your sins are forgiven. So pause there for just a minute. Uh, think about what this must look like. Obviously, Jesus is gaining more popularity. He is surrounded by so many people. They're just at the window's edge, at the door. You can't even get to Christ. And so these four men uh, decide that they're going to do anything they can to get their friend to Jesus. And so they climb up on the roof and they decide that they're going to tear it apart and they're going to lower this individual in there. They're going to get him to Jesus no matter what. And Jesus gives them that sign, a son, your sins are forgiven. And so here's where we pick up verse 6. Now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive the sins but God alone? It shows that they don't recognize Jesus as being anywhere close to God. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk. But for that, that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them, and uh, all were amazed. Everyone praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. So Jesus knows what's going on in the mind of the Pharisees. He can probably see it in their facial expressions. Uh, he knows it in their hearts, and so he puts his money where his mouth is, if you if you will. What is easier, to be able to just say to somebody, hey, your sins are forgiven, anybody can say that, your sins are forgiven, or to actually say, hey, get up and walk. Jesus says those words, and this man who has never been able to walk in his life, this paralytic that everybody knows in the town because he has been confined, uh, stands up, takes his mat, and he walks out. Uh, I envision it being like, 
when Moses uh, says the words and the Red Sea uh, spreads apart, uh, the people do the exact same thing, that they just go side to side and this individual, for the first time ever, walks out in front of all of them and they witness this great act of God. And it's in that moment that all the people celebrate. We have never seen anything like this, they say. Um, you know, looking at this story, uh, I love actually what Jesus says of this man receiving the forgiveness of sins and receiving healing. Uh, if you look with me in that chapter, it says, when Jesus saw their faith, talking about the four friends, this is when he says, your sins are forgiven. Uh, he's actually impressed by how much time and energy and effort these friends have placed into being able to make sure their friend was at the foot of Jesus. And I think there's a challenge there for you and I as Christians. When we look at people around us in the world, when we look at our friends, when we look at our, our neighbors, just people around us in general, uh, are we doing the best job that we can to step over any hurdle that may exist to be able to get people to be laid at the feet of Jesus and to be able to receive his healing. Think about what these men do. They took Jesus uh, right to him, basically. They, they know that their friend cannot reach Jesus on his own. Uh, and there's plenty of times in this escapade that they could have just given up. Uh, they were taking their friend all around town. They could have gone to the house and said, oh my gosh, it's so crowded, we can't do this, and they left. They could have taken their friend upon the roof and said, hey, this roof is, is here, we can't get him in. But instead, they take him up there, they rip it apart, they lower him down to Jesus and get him right there. And in that moment is when the friend is healed because of what these others do on his behalf. Because they have faith in God. Jesus uses them, God uses them to be able to be this instrument of providing the gospel, of providing who Jesus is and receiving that healing. And so be challenged as we open up with this. Don't uh, critique the ways that we cannot bring Christ to others or the barriers that we have in life, but be creative with it. How do we get Jesus right in front of those who need to hear him the most? All right, let's move on to uh, verse 13. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So again, uh, the Pharisees are there. They're paying attention to what Jesus is saying, what he is doing, and they do not appreciate it. 
Uh, it doesn't fit within their law and within their standards, within their customs. And so they begin to question over and over and over again. And you can see that tension building there between what Jesus is confessing is the word and the rule of God uh, compared to what the Pharisees say, this is what we should do. These are the laws that we should be following. These are the traditions that we need to be facing. And even in this time, when Jesus is reaching out to these others, they don't like that. They don't like who Jesus is spending time with. He shouldn't be seen doing these things. He shouldn't be with these individuals. But Jesus answers them with a very unique word uh, that, again, is a calling to us as Christians. He says that on hearing this, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Isn't that a perfect piece of imagery? Uh, it's rare that we would ever go to uh, the doctor if we are not sick, if we are not feeling good. Maybe you go to get a physical once in a while, but again, you're going to be able to get a checkup to make sure things are going okay or to see if you need to start doing something else. It's this preventative measure. And so anytime we are going to the doctor, it's based upon our, our health of making sure that we're doing better, getting better, that we're fixing something. And isn't it the same with God in which he comes to us? That as individuals who are sinners, we are the ones who need the doctor. We are the ones who need the healing. Uh, that's why I love in this text when we're walking through, and it says that Jesus is eating with tax collectors. And if you look in your scripture, it'll say the word sinners in quotation marks. Because I think it allows us to each uh, be a part of this story. It mentions those tax collectors, and you might say, that's not me, but then it mentions those sinners. It doesn't say what these people are known for, for their sins. It could be a whole slew of things, but I guarantee you, we fit into that category. And in that moment, Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners, which is all people. Uh, if you were righteous and perfect, Tell you the truth, you would not need God, uh, but we all are. We're all born with sin. We all commit sin. And so just because of those things, we are the ones who need this healing. What a great message to be able to share with people around us who maybe think uh, God is too good for them, that God is uh, judgmental toward people, because we can see right in this scripture text, he's not. Uh, he comes for all of us. We're all in that level playing field. We all need the forgiveness of our Lord. All right, move on to section uh, three. Jesus' question about fasting, verse 18. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the new piece will pull away from the old, making, it, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst. The skins and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, he pours new wine into new wineskins. All right, so the Pharisees 
or at least people on the outside are asking, what is happening here? Uh, Jesus, your disciples are not fasting while the Pharisees' disciples are. And even John, John the Baptist is talking about their disciples, his disciples are, are fasting. And so why are they doing this? But your disciples, again, they seem to be bucking the trend here. Now, typically fasting would have been done, especially by the Pharisees, at least a couple different times uh, during the week. Uh, John's disciples probably did it because of uh, they might have been in mourning at different times. Maybe John, even in this moment, is in prison, and so maybe they're fasting during that time. But Jesus goes on to tell this interesting parable, kind of in three different ways. Uh, the two main ones are, number one, he talks about the story of the bridegroom and how people cannot be fasting while he is there. Uh, he's referring to himself as being this one who everybody should be celebrating in this moment. Uh, typically, a wedding celebration in this point in scripture would have lasted for about a week in which people would not have fasted at all. In fact, they would have uh, celebrated greatly during this time. And so he says, you know, this is what my disciples are doing. They're celebrating greatly while I'm here. Now, when the bridegroom goes off, when everything is taken care of, the celebration stops. And he already, in this moment, refers to his death, that he at some point will go off, that the celebration will stop, that he has to go and, little does everybody know at this moment, pay the price for our sin. And he says, so the time will come when that won't happen. Uh, he mentions the clothing piece and then goes on to that second uh, more demanding illustration of the wine in the wineskin, of who uses you know old wineskin to be able to put new wine into. Uh, when it mentions the new wine, it's talking about basically you know uh, some type of juice, potentially grape juice, that would go into these wineskins and it would sit. And over time, uh, fermentation would occur. I don't know if you've ever seen something ferment on its own, maybe when you didn't want to, but it expands uh, greatly, whether it be outside or sometimes maybe it can even happen inside a refrigerator. Uh, it grows and it goes out. Now, if that happened inside of these new wineskins, uh, they haven't been able to, to flex uh, correctly, and so you needed to use the right type of wineskin so that it wouldn't burst and have this wine that would just go to waste and then a wineskin that wouldn't work either. And so Jesus used this terminology and this metaphor here to explain that his ways are, they're different. They don't fit in the customs and the traditions of, of old. It's something new that he's bringing to the table. Uh, the concept of being able to make sure you are following uh, not just the laws of man, but really following the rule of God. And so people are having a tough time with this. Uh, why would we not follow these laws that have been set up by you know, the Pharisees or by people or even Jesus, John's disciples are doing this. Why aren't your disciples doing this? And again, he's bringing this new way of thinking to the people. Uh, maybe for us, it's not so new as we have the privilege of having scripture laid out for us in the entirety and being able to see this whole story of God really laid out. But for the Jewish people at this time, this was something that was very, very different. And so we move on to uh, our closing of one more interaction. And again, the Pharisees not being excited with what Jesus is doing. Uh, verse 23, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields and his disciples walked along. They began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, 
Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Uh, the disciples are going along. They're picking some of this grain. Again, the Pharisees get upset because this would have been seen as a type of harvesting, some type of work uh, that is being performed, efforts, labor that's going forward. And that was something that, again, according to the law, was not allowed on the Sabbath. Why are disciples working on the Sabbath? So Jesus relates to another uh, historic story that they would have known well, uh, also a character from Scripture and from Jesus' own lineage, uh, to David of being able to do something very similar, of being able to, if you will, break this law uh, in accordance with what needed to be done during that time. And as they go through, and Jesus is basically saying, you know, you've got to stop uh, focusing so much just on this man-made law. Uh, this isn't even the law of God. It need to focus on what is most important. We get to this uh, section. It's our last two verses. It says, Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not the man for the Sabbath. And this is the most important. This in the following verse. Uh, the fact that the Sabbath isn't created uh, so that we would have to be bound to certain things. The Sabbath was created for man, for, for us, to be able to receive rest and rejuvenation in the Lord. Uh, this is part of the freedom that we have of worship, that the Lord comes to us and he strengthens us in our faith. Uh, he doesn't bound us so that we uh, are frightened of him constantly or so that we are limited in our faith, but he allows us to be able to grow and be able to extend. And again, find rest in him during this time. And it's in this moment that Jesus tells them, you know, who is the one that makes these ultimate laws? Well, it's God. Man should not be telling God what to do. God is God and he can decide what to do. And that's that final verse there. So the son of man, he's talking about himself, is Lord even of the Sabbath. I'm God. I am God over all of these things. I decide what is true. I decide what is correct, not other individuals. Again, important for us to be able to remember today uh, of who God is and what he has done in our lives and that God simply is God. Uh, today we begin this time of Lent together and I hope we can take that one final verse there and really put it into practice. Are we making sure God is the one who is Lord of our life at all times and at all places? And maybe we challenge ourselves with really sinking into that over these next 40 days. Think about that in this time of practice and the strengthening of our faith, even in these sections that we looked at today. Let's work backwards just real briefly. Uh, are we making sure that God is Lord of our Sabbath, of our worship, that we're always putting him first, that we know what he says goes, not what the world says? Uh, are we looking at this comment about Jesus' question about 
fasting and knowing that we should always celebrate who God is, that he truly is our bridegroom. And in this time of Lent, as we reflect upon him, are we taking time to make sure we are always doing again what he says, that we look at his uh, rule, those wine in the wineskins. Are we looking at what God says we are supposed to follow or are we looking at what the world says we are to follow? The calling of Levi and sitting with sinners. Are we using our time not to be able to go and make sure we're in bad environments or to be able to, to be with people who are not Christians, but when we do find ourselves in those situations and when we're just out in the world, when we look around, we see people who uh, be completely honest, are sinners just like you and I, and we are making sure that we are being hospitable toward them and showing the love of Christ to them. Even if they do things that are contrary to what we believe is true or what God's word said is true, we are in the same boat. And are we reaching out to them to be able to make sure there are more people in the kingdom of heaven on the final day? And that goes back to that first section of Jesus healing the paralytic. Uh, I mean, think about that, what one friend does for another. And what is more difficult, to be able to say your sins are forgiven or to be able to say take up your mat and walk? And we remember that Jesus creates miracles in the lives of his people. And so anyone around us who is in doubt that Jesus can do that for him, uh, maybe they need to hear this story of Jesus saying to each and every one of us, you know, let's, let's get up. I am here with you. Uh, you know what is most important? Your sins are forgiven because what I have done. Make sure you live in that message uh, this week and these 40 days going forward and make sure other people see that and hear that in you as we are charged with being the disciples that Christ has chosen on this world. Let's pray. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this opportunity uh, to briefly look at your word with you today. Uh, continue to strengthen our faith and to encourage us to be uh, just your great uh, mouth, mouthpiece and spokesperson uh, here on this world as we have this greatest news that has ever been shared and uh, continues to be able to be this news that we can share with others around us. In Jesus' name, we bring all of these things and lay them at your feet today. Amen. All right, hope to catch you in worship uh, this afternoon or tonight, and uh, see you also on Sunday. Have a good week.